You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. It's great to be together with the West Side Church, and uh, it's been an awesome uh, series that we've been going through. It's called the, uh, the Wonder Series, the Wonder of God, the Amazement of God. And our idea with that series was to impact our um, young teens, our, our college students, just uh, really having in, to realize that really we should be in awe and amazement and have this wondrous viewpoint of God and his plan. And our, our hope is that our young people would see that, would, would connect to that, would want to see that. And so today I'm going to talk about the concept of being wonderfully made. And I want to um, share a little story. This past uh, 10 days ago, I went on a fishing trip. It was uh, set up by Kirk Nascimento. He he's a an avid fisherman, and I really appreciate his uh, you know love for fishing, how good at it he is. And and he'd been sharing about how the year before he had caught like a, over a hundred pound tuna. He shared a lot of that with a lot of us, so we enjoyed it. And I thought I I want to go and get one of those tuna. So we went out. And I'm going to share more about sort of the lessons we learned later in, in today's lesson. But we ended up uh, catching some fish, and we ended up having a meal with a number of the married couples that we uh, get with a lot. And uh, it was awesome time. Uh, it was great to have Paul Nakakura at the meal because he knew exactly what to do with the tuna, right? He's great with that. And so he uh, got his hands on the fatty portion of the actual fish that uh, that I had brought home. And... It's, it's apparently it's like 60 bucks a pound for this, you know, fatty portion of the tuna. It's quite remarkable. And he turned it into like a, a tuna carpaccio. It was delicious with like ginger dressing on it and all this stuff. So Mark and Karen were over and Mark have, has never eaten raw fish. And uh, but he was bold enough to try it. He's like, I'm going to try something new. And I think he ate most of that $60 per pound uh, carpaccio. <laughs> he was enjoying himself quite a bit up a little bit here. Um, so it was quite an adventure. And what I realized is when you, when you have someone that's a good cook, it is a blessing in life, right? It's wonderfully made food. And we enjoyed uh, some, some seared tuna on a salad. My wife is also a fantastic cook, but it was enjoyable. It made us grateful. We kind of sat around and thought, this is awesome. We just got this out of the ocean like, you know, 24 hours ago. So it was fresh food. It was awesome to eat something that fresh and enjoy it. So thank you, Kirk. I'm going to share uh, a little bit more about the story of fishing and how it applies to our purpose in life. But uh, I want to pray again right now to set our heart for, for today's lesson. So let's bow to God. Father, thank you so much for this privilege of being here to open our hearts to your word. We ask, God, that you would minister to each of us here uh, at the school, outdoors, in the beautiful Santa Monica Sun, but also to everyone at home who's watching right now live or who will watch a recording of, of this time. I pray you minister to our hearts. We know we desperately need you. Your word can change all things. We understand that we are uh, wonderfully made by you. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to begin in Psalm 139, and you can turn, uh, scroll down in your Bible, or I have the first two verses on the screen for you, so you can, well, that'll jumpstart us. But if you want to open up your Bible your hand, and your phone, that'd be great as well. We read there the psalmist, and this is turned into a song in, in David's day, uh, but I want to read, this is a very powerful psalm about God's creation and how well he knows each of us. And he says in verse 1, you have searched me. 
Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. In verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Wow, so he knows what I'm going to say in the next sentence. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God's incredible. He's remarkable. He knows us. He says, he knows when we sit and when we rise. You are familiar with all my ways. How does that make you feel to know that God is familiar with all your ways? That can be a challenging thought, right? It can be a little scary or it can be comforting because the reality is he does know all our ways. Human ways are very unique. Uh, the way of a man and the way of a woman, all of us, it's unique. The way of our minds, the way of our hearts. I, I, the one thing we can all admit to is our emotions are, are sometimes unexplainable, right? Sometimes like, why do I feel the way I feel? I don't know. I was watching the, uh, recently, of course, I watched the NBA finals and saw, uh, you know, Giannis uh, win his first NBA title. And if you notice, right after he won the title, he, he sat down and he started crying. And then I, I was watching these, M- I like MMA fighting. I don't know, a lot of you might think that's archaic and brutal and not good, to, but I like it. It's uh, one man against another man or one woman against another woman, and they battle. And it's incredible. What happens is when they battle for the championship and, the, and the, like the challenger wins the championship, they usually cry right there. Right after they win, they'll just tears start flooding down. And you wonder why. Why is that? Is it, it's incredible. They're, they're, I guess they have so much pent-up emotion and desire to accomplish this goal. And they suffer so much to get to the goal. Once they hit it, it's just like it sort of like it breaks the dam and they just weep. Right. Our ways sometimes are so unique and complex. And God knows all our ways. That can be comforting and it can be scary. You know, I like the verse where it says you hem me in. In other words, you protect me. You're protecting me. God's protecting us. He's interested in us. We are special to him. I like how he says that he lays his hand upon us in a comforting way. A lot of times I'll lay my hand upon my son, Nathan, or I'll, certainly on my wife. I'll just put it on their back on their shoulder to give them affirmation, right? Sometimes I, I'm kind of that guy. I'm a touchy guy. I might put my hand on your shoulders to say, hey, you're my friend. You're valued. You're needed. You're special. You're, I, I consider you. You're important. God does that to each one of us. Some of us really like that. We like that. That affection. Some of us, you know, we don't like it as much, but God says he lays his hand upon us in comfort and affirmation. You know, he goes on and says, this is just way beyond my mind. This is, I can't comprehend this. This is, this knowledge is too wonderful. It's too amazing. I, how could God know every word that's going to come out of my mouth, right? How does he know the next thing I'm going to say? It's, it actually does blow our mind. That is the nature of God. And I want us to read down in verse 13, the part that I just think is so inspiring. He says, for you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know, you here, every one of us here today is wonderfully made, which means you're distinct. You're unique. You're amazingly special. And the fearfully is an amazing concept. Like he, he fearfully made you. What does that mean? It means that he took great care, that he wanted things to go well. You know, you ever, you know, you ever prepare a, a big event? I remember when I threw a, a birthday party for my wife on her like 40th birthday. I just wanted it to go so well. I wanted her to feel so encouraged. And all this preparation, I was uptight about it. And I kept asking more people for help. And I, I fearfully wanted it to just go well. Why? To bring honor to her and to make her feel special. When we do things that are important, we fearfully, we reverentially commit to it to do our very best. Amen. And that's how God made you. You are spectacular, West Side. And I want to say specifically to the West Side Church how spectacular you are. Carrie and I have been here now for two and a half years. And I'm grateful. We, you know, I'm so grateful for the relationships that are deepening and growing and the family that is being built here. This is a fantastic church. The more I'm reading books on how to build ministries and how to build churches and how to build movements of churches, I, I, I all your names and faces and skill sets start just floating through my mind because I realize what an incredible foundation we have here on the West Side. What amazing gifts we have. Our youth ministry and Justin and Emma serving them and the, the, and the camps that just happened. I know Carrie's sharing about that and uh, just how much we appreciate those that ran the preteen camps. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm seeing a, a spark of life even in our younger preteens, our young teens, and certainly our teens are catching a glimpse of the wonder of God. Of course, we all know last week was our service run by our campus ministry. It was awesome. Our interns, our campus is always on fire. It's inspiring to have these universities here, to have, you know, athletes that are D1 athletes, to have, you know, brilliant students, to have every kind of person seeking God and seeing them pour their life out. We have an awesome campus ministry, and it's only going to get better. Amen. And then the West Side Singles Ministry is renowned. It's renowned. I mean, 60% of the population in the West Side is, is single singles. Bottom line is that is our, our mission field. That is the culture out here. Uh, it, it, there are tons and tons and will continue to be single, single households. It's just part of the culture, the demographic of this part of America. And we got to get good with that, accept that and go, all right. That's what we're going to care about. We're going to go after the single ministry professionals that we're calling it the professionals ministry, by the way, Chuka and I were having a big talk. So we're going to rename it's called the professionals. And we also have the young professionals. And there's some debate on what age you'd cross from young professional professional. I won't really say Chuka's got his opinions, but either way, we're professionals and you, you know, you're needed. Our, our ministry is awesome. The talent level, the people there, I love them. Thank you so much. Uh, Emma and Chuka, the work they've been doing as point people. But also all the small group leaders there working so hard. And I really want to urge our, our mature married ministry to take an interest, uh, care about that demographic. Uh, you, you know, you can study the Bible and train and help single men and women, even if you're older married men or women, right? You're needed, deeply needed. Amen. And then, you know, our marriage ministry are pillars. 
are pillars, our elbow group, right? These women are pillars. I think about the passage in Luke where it says these women traveled with Jesus and they supported him out of his me- out of their means. The women were supporting Jesus, the older women, the younger women. And our marriage ministry is just filled with depth. So many for, former ministers and missionaries right here in our congregation, song leaders, small group leaders, ministers, so much richness, talent upon talent. Guys, we are blessed. We were wonderfully made. And I, and I want you to just, just for a moment, understand God has incredible plans for the West Side Church. We have about a million people uh, on the west side. If you take us, uh, you know, kind of push our boundaries out a little bit towards downtown L.A., where there's about a million people that way towards uh, the west side. And from Malibu down to El Segundo, out, you know, through Inglewood and parts of the, the uh, you know, the city, we have a lot of work to do to reach people. We're a diverse group, but we are wonderfully made, and God has an incredible plan to use us. And I'm so proud of how spiritual this group is. I was on a phone call uh, on Friday night. I have a regular uh, weekly or biweekly phone call with our squad team. And, you know, Chuck and, and Ke- Chuck Bray had been our squad leader. And, and now Charlotte Newbill is our, our new uh, coordinator of our squad. Our squad is our social, cultural, uh, unity and diversity team that, that has been built really uh, in uh, response to the need to really care about uh, issues of inclusion and to be sensitized to it. It's awesome. We have that here in the West Side. We were one of the first to establish that group in L.A. Now all, all the regions are establishing this. But it was great to just be on the phone talking to. Uh, to Charlotte and Susan and, and Chuck and and just what, one of the things that Charlotte mentions is you know um, one of the things we can do is we can always lead with humility if, if we're not on point with some issue that's a concern for our people we just admit we, we're, we're where we need to be and I thought that is so awesome that that we lead with humility that is the way of Christ that's how to make people feel included is you're humble. You admit what you're doing well. And there's so many good things planned. You're going to hear more and more of the things we're doing. But I'm just grateful. Thank you, Charlotte, for your work in that. And, and you and Newbie mean so much to us. We're super grateful. West Side is wonderfully made. Amen. But, you know, last week uh, in the sermon by the campus, I, I, one of the questions that was asked, I think Tim asked it was, what is our purpose in life? Right. That's our what's 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 your purpose? And that. Everybody, we've answered that question before, but every time you look closely and have to answer it to somebody else, it makes you think. And that got me thinking about today. And uh, the, the title of the lesson is Wonderfully Made, but my two points fit into the purpose. Why are we here? And the two points are this. You were made to know God, and you're made to make God known. You were made to know God and to bring him glory. You know, a classic uh, church confession, the Westminster Confession, says that the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. St. Ignatius of Loyola, an early church father, he said that God freely created us so that we might know, love, and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever. God's purpose in creating us is to draw forth from us a response of love and service here on earth so that we may attain the goal of everlasting happiness with him in heaven. All the things in this world are gifts of God created for us to be the means by which we can come to know him better 
love him more, surely give him our hearts and serve him more faithfully. As a result, we ought to appreciate and use these gifts of God insofar as they help us toward our goal of loving service and union with God. But insofar as these gifts that are created hinder our progress towards our goal of honoring God, we should let go of those hindrances. St. Ignatius, he knew that our purpose is to know God and make God known. So how do we know God? Well, ultimately, we live in the day and age of, you know, as a history major at UCLA. And I remember even taking a, a class on the early history of Christianity. And it was not taught by somebody who actually believed in the Bible completely. But that was another story. But they taught the history of Christianity. I read all the books. But we did read the Bible because the Bible is a history book. It does contain historical truth and accuracy in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul knew that if he wants to know God, he has to know Christ. And so I want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul is talking about what really drives him along, what moves him, what motivates him. And he says, continue this thing of one, this theme of wonder. In verse 8, he says, nothing, Philippians 3, 8, nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the contemporary English version, version, the CEV version of this verse. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have given up everything else and count it all as garbage. All I want is Christ and to know that I belong to him. Wow, nothing is as wonderful as knowing God. What really makes you happy? You know, I went on a family vacation, and that did make me happy. I did enjoy it. It was a nice time. We all look forward to that. But if your life simply consists of looking forward to vacations, uh, I would say that's a dimly motivated life, right? That your, your life has to be more than looking forward to vacations. Is wealth the thing you look forward to? Making money. I mean, there's rich people in the world today. You guys have been reading about the guys that are flying into space, Be, uh, Jeff Bezos and, and uh, uh, Branson, right? Uh, owner of Virgin, Virgin uh, uh, Galactic or whatever that is. And he, he decided to get into space before Jeff Bezos from Amazon. So he, just, he put his rocket uh, one week ahead of time. He's going to get ahead, ahead of uh, Jeff Bezos going into space. You know, first, uh, you know, man uh, into space that's as a commercial spacecraft where eventually if you have enough money all of us could fly into space is what they're basically saying but i thought it's so funny that these two billionaires the pinnacles of wealth are sort of having this conflict on on twitter you know uh having a little conflict of like little it, it, it sounded honestly to me like like you know sixth graders arguing about something really foolish like ah well that's an asterisk by your name you didn't really get there first i got there and and i just thought these are the richest most influential guys and they're having a little argument it sounds like a typical prideful male argument on who's stronger or who can win at arm wrestling i thought Wow, wealth is not the answer to life. It is not. How about romantic relationships? Is that the thing you seek? Is romantic relationships the answer? And I have one explanation for why it is not. Jesus Christ was not in a romantic relationship. And to say that he didn't experience the ultimate flourishing life in his 33 years would be false. He did. 
That's not to say romantic relationships aren't an awesome gift and blessing and one to enjoy, but they are not the essence and pinnacle of truly having fulfillment in our life. The ultimate fulfillment, according to the Apostle Paul, is knowing Christ. Now, I want every one of our singles that desires a romantic relationship to find a mate. The Bible does say it's not good for man to be alone. But, you know, I don't think you have to have a marriage to feel that that requirement of best friendship and emotional connection and even levels of intimacy. You know, sexuality uh, is the most corrupted thing in our na- in our nation. Uh, sex was created by God. It's a good thing, but it is not the pinnacle of life. It is not the ultimate fulfillment. It's a blessing from God, but to say it counts more than anything else is false. Look at the apostle Paul. Look at Jesus And realize that the answer is relationship with God. Everything else has to flow underneath that or it gets corrupted. You know, many of us like to go on adventures. Maybe adventures are the secret to life. Going on adventures. But I've already talked about you can't probably have a greater adventure than going to space. And it it doesn't change your character, right? It doesn't really change the foundational issues. Knowing Christ is what God wants us to do. And that's how we get to know and have this relationship with God. He wants us to know him because he knows you. And as you read on down in verse 10 of Philippians, back to the NIV, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. How can we get to know Christ better? How can you know? The ultimate joy in life is knowing God, knowing Christ, bringing glory to him. How? Well, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, right? Eternal life and the participation in his sufferings. How are we going to grow? You know, it's going to take suffering. You know, in our staff meeting, we were talking about suffering and uh, and Kenny brought up. He said, you know, we don't really suffer um, the persecution, the physical kinds of suffering that, uh, for standing up for Jesus in American culture. You don't really we don't get thrown in jail for that. But he says we are all facing an ideological battle. We are facing this this battle of, of teachings and thought patterns that, that are an assault on God's ways and God's truth and God's hope for us. And we begin to suffer because, you know, look at what's going on. We have a mental health uh, crisis. We have an emotional health crisis because so many competing thoughts are floating through the airways that don't line up with the scriptures, that don't line up with Jesus' way. And we got to stay in the battle. We got to dig in and engage the conversations. And in that conversation and in the concern for each other and having the talks and being real about the mental health, they are real issues. We have to engage. We have to cry and weep and suffer with each other and with those who don't know Jesus. And it's in the mission of knowing God and helping our brothers and sisters know God that we suffer. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. You know, we need each other. To know God, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer through your own emotions and your own challenges and line them up. And it's going to be a struggle. Just accept it. It's part of growth. Struggle is needed. 
And you're going to have to struggle with each other. What I've learned, uh, and I'm, you know, teaching uh, some of the, the, the single guys that are dating now and talking through this, but a lot of times, we, you know, we don't, we don't, most of the time, we don't need to solve our, our, our partners, our spouses' issues. We just need to be in there with them. And I often say, like with my wife, you know, she wants me to fight for her by fighting with her sometimes. Right. Fight for her by willing by being willing to engage in the suffering and dialogue and challenging viewpoints and say, yeah, I don't know if I agree. And I do with this and just and just stay in the mess with her. We have to stay in the mess with each other to grow in our knowledge of God, to become like Jesus, understanding that he knows every thought we have. That's a scary premise, knowing how much some of our thoughts are not aligned with God. And yet he stays in there with us. You can imagine it makes him suffer and wrestle, right? You need to grow in knowing God by being willing to suffer. Amen, church? You know, in John chapter 1, it says it very simply. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. And the great thing is we have eyewitness accounts of people just like us. Mind you, I don't want to share this for our young people. The early apostles and disciples were teenagers. They think maybe only Peter was 20 because he had to give the temple tax. But the others didn't have to pay the temple tax, so they were likely teenagers. Think about that. And so God has given us this eyewitness account from these young people, these, these college students who hung out with him and wrote the Gospels. Now, they wrote the Gospels later on after they seasoned, I think, and matured, but they reflected on the things they had learned and said and wrote eyewitness accounts inspired by the Holy Spirit that we get to study and know, and through the Spirit, we get to know God. And your mission on this earth is to know God and continue to grow in that knowledge of God says, and we'll close out this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I have that on the screen for you. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. When you don't give up, when you persevere in the struggle, when you persevere in the fight to know Christ, understand Christ, dig in and grasp him and pray to him and talk to him, and you don't quit on your faith, you get transformed into the ever-increasing glory of Jesus through staying in. And the Spirit is doing that. When you don't, when you persevere, you grow. When you persevere, you grow. College students, you will grow. I remember seeing freshmen in college and just wondering, wow, how they were going to make it through life. A lot of them right now, quite honestly, are the pillars in the church. And I, I've been in the campus for over 20 years. And the reality is God will transform our college student. And it wasn't you guys. It was the other campus ministry I led. It wasn't you guys. Yeah. It wasn't you guys. It was the campus ministry back in the day, a long time ago when I was the campus minister. And maybe my thoughts weren't that faithful, but man, God showed me wrong. God transforms you when you persevere. Marrieds, you're not done. Older single elbow group out there, you're not done being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We'll never fully attain it, but what a glorious mission to grow and be like Paul and say, oh, I want to know him. You know, knowing him is not really the, the end of it all. Glorifying him 
is really the, the practical mission that he's given us too on this earth. And so I want to go to point two. We'll close out here before we take communion. Point two is God made you to make him known. You were made to make God known. And we find in John chapter 15, a verse that kind of highlights this for us. And I'm going to read two verses. In verse 8 of John 15, he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then down in verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so Jesus tells his guys, I've appointed you, I've chosen you to bring glory to my Father. He does want you to bear fruit, the fruit of love coming out of your life, yes, and the fruit, the practical fruit of a disciple who makes disciples. Jesus said, right, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll teach you to fish for other people. You will duplicate as you imitate me, and then you teach about me. Others will imitate you as they imitate me, and the world will be filled with disciples. We are called to be fishers of men. This is not an easy mission, but it is the mission, right? To know God and to make him known to people. So let me talk about my fishing trip a little bit. So the fishing trip was an overnight fishing trip that we had planned. And, of course, Jesus used the terminology, I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men, to, you know, uh, Peter and John and James who were fishermen, because I think there were a lot of parallels to this mission that we need to hear. And how many of you have ever gone deep sea fishing? Okay, so you guys get a glimpse of it. How many of you have ever gone deep sea tuna fishing, like fishing for tuna? Okay, Davis has. Okay, a couple of you have. This is a different animal. To start, when he invited me to go, it, it costs a lot more than I thought. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going. <laughs> but it was a little hefty price. It was, you know, multiple hundreds of dollars to go on this boat overnight, full meal, and it was a teaching boat that we were going on. The name of the boat was called the Ocean Odyssey. We're going on an odyssey to catch tuna. The thing about catching tuna is you need the right equipment, and I did not have any. So it's funny enough, most of the guys on the boat were bringing upwards at least three or four poles each. Each pole, rod and reel, could cost maybe a thousand bucks each for these tuna boats. So I'm not spending thousand dollars on a pole. I'll rent one, you know, 20 bucks. It ended up costing a little more than that. And then Kirk's like, I'll help you out. I said, thank you. You can, I'll bring an extra rod for you. Like, thank you, Kirk. That's awesome, man. I don't want to get stuck, you know. So I really wanted to catch a fish because the last time I went, which was like 10 years ago, I did not catch a fish. And I went on an overnighter with my brother-in-law, and we tried all night. And I, if you know me, I'm very competitive. And so walking home without having caught a fish, it, it made me mad. And I was like, I'm catching one. I'm catching one this time. I for sure I'm going to catch one. But but I, I was like, okay, I got to learn. I got I to gotta figure out how to do it. And I didn't have the right equipment. So I'm like, all right, Kirk, you're going to help me out with that. Yes. And then I was grateful to hear that there were fishermen on the boat whose goal will be to train the rest of us. So it was like a teaching ship. Turned out uh, this TV show called The Angler Chronicles was on the ship with us, the boat. And they were videotaping it because it's going to be part of a, uh, of a sport fishing program on, um, on Fox Sports, which was pretty cool. I was like, oh, this is great. This is my great chance to catch one. And so it was, it was starting on a Thursday, uh, or Tuesday night, and we wouldn't get back till, uh, Thursday early morning. And so that meant two nights we'd be out. One, both nights you usually travel to the fishing spots, you're traveling back. 
and you're supposed to sleep. But I made the commitment that whenever the boat stopped to catch, I would wake up. No, no question. I would stop. I would be fishing. I'm not going to sleep and for sure. I'm going to do whatever it takes to catch fish. And so uh, I only slept like about, you know, maybe five hours between two nights. Yes. Yeah, it was rough. Kirk, Kirk only slept a couple more hours than me. He was pretty committed also. He slept a few more than me. But um, we got out there, and, and the first time we stopped to catch a fish, you, it was, there's two types of ways to catch them. And you have to have a really big, strong pole because the first type of fish you're going to catch could be like upwards of 100 pounds. And so I was learning how to do it, and I'm following the directions, and they have the sonar that, that tells you where the fish are. I wish we had a, a spiritual sonar to tell you, you know, which fish are open, right? But the reality is we do. It's called society, open your eyes, go where people are, right? You can't really see under the water, so they have to use sonar. But, you know, we can fish for men by just going on the campus or opening our mouth at our workplace or meeting our neighbors or just joining community events. There's lots of people. We don't need the same kind of sonar. But this sonar would tell you how deep the fish was. And then you drop your reel, your, your lure down that far. So everybody was doing it. I was doing it. I was trying so hard to do it right. And then, of course, the challenge is fishing takes skill. And a lot of times I would drop the lure and all of a sudden my reel would like bubble up into like a hornet's nest of like fishing line. I'm like, ah, they're like, you got to keep your finger on it better and keep it tighter. I'm like, yeah, but it's hard. They're like, yeah, yeah, you got to get good at it, right? Fishing for men takes work. Fishing for fish takes work. Okay, that night when we dropped, one guy caught a fish. He caught a 120-pound fish. It was his first time ever bluefin uh, fishing, and he caught this 120-pounder. And these fish are so hard to bring in. It took him over an hour to reel it in, well over an hour to reel this fish in. And because this fish was so big, it was like circling the boat. All our other lines got tied up in his, and it was like, oh, man. Anyway, so then we, once that fish got reeled in, they packed up, and we went to the next space. And we kept trying. And I was working on it. Once the daytime hit, the way you catch tuna in the daytime is you catch these live – you have these live sardines that are in a bait tank that you catch with your hand, and you stick them on your, on your hook. Now, let me tell you something. To, to, to catch a fish, you've got you to gotta catch the most lively little sardine because if you catch kind of a slow, boring sardine – He's going to look slow and boring in the water, and the tuna won't want to eat them because they don't look, you know, tasty or something. So you got to catch the most lively one in the tank with your hand. Then you have to hook it as fast as possible without squeezing it too hard, which I always did because it kept slipping out. And I would, like, grip it, and I'd hook it, and then it would be, like, half dead when it got in the water. And they're like, you're squeezing too hard. And I was like, I am? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you, this was not easy. And I was working just relentlessly to catch a fish. And finally, a couple of the deckhands are like, oh, we got to help this guy. And so they're helping me. I'm like, thank you. You know, we need help to fish for men, too. We need each other. I'm grateful to have people that were mentoring me on that boat, hooking the fish for me, getting the line. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot more to it. Get the fish, the little bait fish. When you throw it in, you want it to swim out in the deep waters. But mine kept turning around and swimming under the boat. Like, ah, so I'd have to reel it in, get another fish, and get it to swim out. It was work. Finally, it was mid-afternoon. I was like, wasn't catching. I was trying so hard. Turned out that the captain of the ship, he, you know, is a seasoned fisherman. He wanted everybody to be successful. He comes down. He's fishing next to me, and he hooks one. And he hooks it, and he goes, have you ever reeled one in? I'm like, no. He's like, here. He gave me his pole. I'm like, yeah. And I gave him, I set my pole down. Because the way it works is if you reel it in, it counts as yours. 
So I'm reeling that thing in. Now, mind you, when you reel a fish in, these tuna, only about 50% make it to the side of the boat because they're so strong and they swim so violently that they dislodge the hook or they literally bite through the line if your line's not thick enough. And if your line's too thick, they won't bite it because they'll see the line. So it's all these complex things to catch a fish. Anyway, luckily the captain caught the you know, hooked the fish and I started reeling it in. Now, he had a good pole and helped me and it wasn't that big a fish and it only took about 20 minutes, got by the boat and then they take these long poles with these hooks on it called gas and they gaff into the fish and they yank it up on the, onto the deck and they yank that fish up. It's like a 20 pounder or so. And I had caught my first tuna. Now, you know, a tradition when you catch tuna is they cut the heart out and the first tuna, you're supposed to eat the heart of the tuna. So they cut it out and handed it to me. And then I was happy. They were all busy catching fish. So I looked at, I kind of took a little bite and I threw it away. I didn't eat the two, I didn't eat the heart, but the principle applies. If we're going to catch fish, you got to, you got to sort of give your heart and consume the heart of the person, right? If you're going to help a person become a disciple, it's all about the heart. It's all about really giving your heart. Davis, you went tuna fishing. Did you eat a heart? You did not. Okay. Kirk told me he did actually eat part of the first one he caught. So just so you know, I don't know. But there's a lot of lessons here for all of us on catching fish, right? On making God known, it takes skill. It takes planning. It takes resources. It takes time. It takes humility. I was so grateful that, you know, the captain, you know, a lot of guys like maybe they wouldn't have admitted that they'd never caught one. I don't know. I was like, I hadn't caught one. I want to bring one home. I wanted to bring a tuna home and enjoy some 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 fresh tuna, which we had enjoyed uh, the next day. Right. So God's calling all of us to make him known and to learn these lessons of how 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 to do it. And it is not easy. It's an enormous project. It's a lifelong journey of making God known. And it doesn't come easily for all. Let me tell you, there's more to it than just meeting somebody. I was met on the street, cold contact, invited to church. But you know, that's not always how it happens. Most of the time it's through relationships. I want to call on the West Side Church. We got to, we got to bring the church out into the world. It's not about bringing them here to the school. It's about us going out into the world and with relationship. If you're a disciple, you make God known by how you live, by how you carry yourself. And my final concept before we take communion here is just this. Not only do we need to be fishing for men, reaching out to make God known, but there's a unique, that's all of our mission. That's all of our calling. But there's, there's yes, the overt effort of reaching out to people, loving them with skill and time and heart and talent and calling them into a relationship with God as they're in a relationship with you. But there's something else. You all have gifts. And I want to close with this verse in verse 7 of, of Ephesians 4. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it to each one of you. Grace has been given a gift from God has been given as he so chose. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took he took many captives. You're the captives of God and gave gifts to his people. He gave you some specific gifts, and there's ways to live them out. We glorify God by making him known, by, yes, making disciples. Let's not forget that's a mission. That's part. Know God and make him known. But, you know, part of how you make him known is you fulfill your specific role and talent and gift that you have. Maybe your gift is administration. Maybe your gift is music. Maybe you're an incredible athlete. 
And certainly we know in our day and age, you can use the, the, the platform that sports, you know, where the Olympics have begun. Our platform can give you the opportunity, if you're an athlete, to speak about God in front of many millions of people. You know, music is such a way to grab our hearts. I'm so grateful for our musicians up here, our worship. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, whole team, for all the work. Carrie, thank you for all the work. Our musical talent draws us to God. There's so many more specific gifts. You know, you might have social media gifts. You might just simply have the gift of kindness. So many of you have the gift of kindness. Hospitality. Patrice, my wife, the gift of hospitality for sure. We got to use that. The gift of being a big brother and a shepherd, right? Mark and Catherine, they're shepherds, they're big brother, they're, they're your shepherd, your guide, your help. They're there to comfort you and help you. We have to use those gifts. Some of us actually are quite wealthy. And you want to know? I want to commend Westside. We went over our goal for special missions. So many of you have the gift of generosity and you exercise that gift. Amen. We're given to the Middle East. We're given to uh, the Nordic Baltic countries that are totally atheistic. We're given to Mexico, Central America, and we're going to impact the Pacific Southwest. Your missions makes a difference. Right now, we're planning a church in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, some of our campus students are out there. Justin's out there right now planting a church in a new city right here in the Pacific Southwest, which is awesome. God wants us to continue to expand, and he wants us to use our individual gifts we're going to pray right now for communion, but before we pray, actually right before we pray, I want to take just a couple moments and I, we'll just, for time's sake, we'll just take two minutes. Okay. Just two minutes. And I want you just to lean to the person to your left or to your right. And briefly, just briefly, I want you to answer the questions that I have on the board. How can your relationship with God grow? And what gift can you use to reveal God to others? Just talk to your spouse or whoever's sitting right to your right or to your left. How, in, in one sentence, how can your relationship with God grow? And in one sentence, what gift can you use to reveal God to others? Let's take two minutes, and then we'll pray for communion and take it together. Okay, guys, we're going to pray. Hey, one correction I did want to say with the singles. I know Emma had been serving for a long time. So happy Emma's going to be getting married. But I did want to say I forgot to mention Lenore. She's been co-leading with... Uh, with Chuka. So thank you, Lenore, and all you're doing with the singles. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son to uh, die for us, to give his life, to demonstrate what real love looks like. We want to know him and understand him and participate in his sufferings. And we want to reveal you, God. Thank you for the just the privilege of having this hope of eternity. And Father, I do pray and uh, thank you. And I ask that you'll minister to this church. Thank you for the blood shed to give us a second chance. Thank you for the body given to demonstrate life to the full. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.